following is a production of Word Alive Creative Arts. Welcome to the podcast of Word Alive International Outreach in Oxford, Alabama, an apostolic center for transformation and freedom. We pray today that you will be blessed and strengthened by this powerful message. weekend. Dr. Ed Savasso has been with us. Now, most of you remember him from last time. If not, let me just give you a quick update on who this wonderful man of God is. He's the founder and president of Harvest Evangelism and the leader of the Transforming Our World Network, which is a, he's a strategist and Bible teacher who specializes in nation and marketplace transformation. He's been involved in a, over 190 city transformational experiences. Trained in both theology and business, he's the author of numerous books, including the best-selling Anointed for Business. His work experiences include banking, hospital administration, financial services, and church ministry, as well as coaching leaders on how to take the power and presence of God into the marketplace to see their sphere of influence transform. As a strategic thinker with a passion to equip ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Touch three people, say he's talking about you now. Dr. Savasso has spent his lifetime mining life-giving biblical principles for transformation to link them to practical application for today's Christians, their families, their sphere of influence, and ultimately their communities and nations. Jack Hafer has said that Ed Savasso is one of the clearest, most coherent, thoroughly biblical thinkers we actually have today. And Zig Ziglar has stated that Ed Savasso's clear-cut message could be the catalyst that propels America into a first-century-type revival awakening. I'm telling you, this is a supreme man of God, apostle of God, in my opinion, that we believe the Lord has sent us. So this isn't just a normal service. Today, something will shift in your life, and you will leave different than the way you came today because of the message and anointing that's on this man's life. So I know we've been standing already, but would you join me one more time and stand and welcome, make well, real welcome to Word Alive, Dr. Ed Silvaso. Come on. everyone remain standing for a moment the Holy Spirit is all over the place you know move your hands like this what do you feel going through your fingers that's the Holy Spirit in him we live in him we move in him we exist you cannot escape him And right now, he's baptizing you, baptizing you, baptizing you. And I'll tell you, the word that I have for you is straight from the word of God. And it will take you out of Egypt into the promised land. And every evil thing that happened to you in Egypt, God will turn it into a great thing in the promised land. You see, from God's perspective, setbacks are nothing more than setups because today's mess is tomorrow's message for you. God loves broken pieces to rebuild them, and that's the word of God for you. So lift up both your hands to the Lord and say with me, Holy Spirit, we worship you. We adore you. 
we exalt you. Forgive us, Holy Spirit, for having called you the third person. You are not the third person. You are second to no one. You are the Spirit of the living God. You are the Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. You are the one who is greater than the one who is out there. Holy Spirit, baptize us right now with fire that will burn every old thing and turn it into new things. We worship you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And give a clap offering to the Lord. Clap offering to the Lord. Hallelujah. I am so honored to be here. Take your seat. Would you give a clap uh, appreciation to your pastors, Ken and Beverly? What a delightful couple. They walk with God. They are mighty people. My wife couldn't join us because today we are having a big, big birthday celebration. God gave us 12 grandkids. And, uh, and one of them, who's turning eight, but she thinks she's 18, you know. She's running the show. So she gave me a pass on condition that when I arrive tonight, I'll get home like at 2 o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow morning, we need to go to San Francisco to eat lobster with her there. <laughs> but my wife sends her love to you. And, you know, I receive a distinct impression that God is using this congregation as a point of inception to transform the region, you know, to transform the entire Bible belt, that God has chosen you, not only Pastor Ken and Pastor Beverly, but all of you, to transform the South so that the South will recover its destiny and will give its gift to the nation. But the point is this, the light that shines the farthest is the one that shines the brightest where it is planted. And that's why for, the, for you and I to be able to use by God mightily, we need to shine bright deep down. And that area is the area where there is wounding in our lives. Things that happened to us in Egypt. And we come into the promised land and we celebrate, but we have that bad memory. Because I'll be teaching today, I want you to know that there is a website where you can access a lot of this material. And there is this app that I encourage you to download where every week you will get teaching like this to take the power and the presence of God to your sphere of influence. All you need to do, you text T-O-W-A-P-P -P to that number and you will get that app and I'll be glad, glad to send you that. That information will come automatically. But get ready now because the word of God is a living word. When the word of God comes to you, it never leaves you until it has done that for which it was intended.
So I want you to read with me out loud this verse, because this is the stick of dynamite that we're going to put next to that lie that the devil has planted in your life, telling you that you are damaged goods, that I wish I could have done better, I don't think God can use me. No, today we are destroying that. So at the count of three, would you read with me this verse? One, two, three. They are four. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. They all things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Say amen to that. And the title is How to Dispose of the Old Things by Learning How to Apply God's Grace to Them. How to turn the worst tragedy that ever happened to you into the greatest thing that will ever come to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you now. Let him take you to that dark corner in your memory that you don't want to revisit because something so bad happened back then. And now let the Lord tell you that he will use that mess to become your life message. Receive it right now. Receive it right now. I take authority over every lying spirit in the name of Jesus for you not to be afraid because all things work together for good. Say all things. And all things includes bad and good things. But the area where the devil is most active is in the area of hurts. So let's do some diagnostics. Has anybody ever hurt you? What a stupid question. <laughs> some of you are loaded, ready to charge the platform and to give the name, serial number, and everything. I mean, we all have been hurt. But second question, how long ago? It didn't happen on the way to church. It didn't happen yesterday. It usually happened a long time ago. And if so, why is still hurting? Why? And it's because those hurts, when they are not dealt by the grace of God, go into constant replay, and every day they remind us of that terrible thing. And that's why I'm using PowerPoints, because this is a message that you have to chew and chew on and more and more. And you can get the PowerPoint if you go to the book table and you leave your email address there, and you will get it within 24 hours. So let me give you two examples. If there is any chance I can see the PowerPoint of the monitors here, that will help me. The story is about a fearful wife. She has been married for 20 years. And because of trauma in her childhood, every night between 2 and 3 o'clock, she woke up with a panic attack and shook her husband up and assured him that there was a thief downstairs. And that loving, committed husband for 20 years always got down and checked everything. And he made all the appropriate noises like dragging chairs so that she will hear that he's checking under the table, slamming the door to the pantry so that she will be assured that he's checking the pantry. And faithfully, he will come back and say, honey, there's no one downstairs. And she will go back to sleep for 20 years. But this night, when he comes down, there is a thief, a robber with a gun, 
aim at him and say, give me your money or I'll blow your brains. And the husband smiles. And she says, sir, I'll give you all the money I have. If you take American Express, I can add a few dollars to it. If you give me a forwarded address, I'll send you a bonus on one condition. Now the robber was confused. He never found so much cooperation. What is the condition? I want you to come upstairs and meet my wife. Why? Because she has been waiting for you for 20 years. And I don't want you to miss you. And that is what happened with the hurts and the pains and the fears. Because there is nothing we can do with the past. There is nothing we can do about the future. All we have is today. And today is the day of salvation. Somebody shout amen. And the devil is powerful by dealing with the past and projecting it onto the future. Because there is nothing you can do about it. But the other cases of an elder in a very leading church on the West Coast. I was counseling this gentleman who was so old that he had wrinkles in his wrinkles. And he's telling me the most hurtful story through clenched teeth. I can see pain oozing out of him. And she told me this terrible thing that was inflicted on him. And when he was done, I said, Roger, how long ago was that? And he said, 55 years ago. 55 years ago, and it was happening again and again and again. That is not good news. That is not the gospel. And maybe you can identify with that. When people try to forgive and fail, they give jurisdiction to the devil. They give room to the devil. Be angry and yet do not sin. If somebody did something terrible to you, you have every right to be angry. But the Bible says, do not let the anger set down, the sun set down on your anger, because now you give the devil a jurisdiction. And we have seen that in deliverance, when we are casting out a demon and the demon refuses to come out. And then we say, why not? because of the hatred that he feels towards somebody that hurt him. And the evil one crosses us people to hurt us because hurts that are resolved go on constant replay for the rest of our lives. And those hurts, the ones that are the most hurtful, are inflicted not by strangers, not by people that we met for two minutes and we move on, They usually happen people we cannot erase because they are our relatives, our fathers, unfortunately, occasionally a spiritual leader. And that gives the devil a powerful weapon. But I'll tell you, God has an even more powerful weapon for you today. And I realize that as I share this, you begin to feel pain. But I tell you, that is pain on the way out. That is pain on the way out. Let the pain rise because it will keep rising until it leaves you. You see, first people hurt us. And second, that hurt goes into constant replay due to the offender's refusal to ask forgiveness. 
And then we are expecting that they ask forgiveness so that we can get rid of it. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to wait for somebody to ask forgiveness. God will teach you today how you can get rid of that because you are being empowered by that offense and not disempowered. The Bible says, do not receive the grace of God in vain. That's the context for the verse we just read. How can you receive the grace of God in vain? If grace is supposed to be irresistible, if grace is something that is like the rain, but it's like if you have a, a, a fatal condition that is going to kill you, and then you go to the doctor, and the doctor gives you the right antibiotics, the right medicine. You take it. You put it on the night table, but you never take it. You took it in vain. It's there. It's within reach, but you never apply it. Yes, the grace is all around you, but you have to learn how to apply it. And you need to destroy the first lie that until the person that hurt you repents, you can do nothing about it. That's baloney. Today you're going to learn how to turn that around in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. I mean, the beauty of grace is that it takes everything that is wrong with us. Everything we have done or that has been done to us. And listen to this. And it turns us around giving us hope. That's the opposite of Freudian psychology. Where you have in the seesaw between blame and, and guilt. I mean, you are angry and you blame people. If you blame them too much, you feel guilty. And now you go to guilt until you cannot take it anymore and you keep blaming. And that's what makes people so destructive because they go back and forth between blaming and guilt. But you are in the right place today. The Holy Spirit is all over you. The word of God is being unfolded. I'll tell you, God will use you and God will use this congregation to spread grace all over the area. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So there are five questions I want to put before you today. Question number one. At what point in your life did the new things begin? We usually say, oh, at the moment of conversion. Yeah, when I came to the Lord, newness of life. Let me tell you. I'll tell you what the problem is. If the new things began only at the moment of conversion, you live in a spiritual schizophrenia. Because you have a bag with the new things that you show to everybody, and you have another bag with the old things that you hide behind your back, and you don't want to talk about it. And that is not the will of God. And then you live in a continual lamenting. I wish I had known the Lord sooner. And you become damaged goods because even though you have newness of life, you apply it only from the moment of conversion on. But I'm here to tell you, the grace of God goes much deeper than that. And you will learn it today and you will be a blessing to others. You see, God did not save a part of your life, but the totality of your life. And that life began at conception. 
and cry. I'll explain that. And what protest? And what at one second before your conversion? What percentage of things were all in your life? A hundred percent. One second after conversion, what percentage of things were new? A hundred percent. Where did the new things come from? From the old things that God turned them around into new things. And it's very important that we realize that it goes all the way back to the moment of conception because there are people that struggle with rejection. And you counsel them and you pray for them and nothing happens until you pop the question. Are you the result of an unwanted pregnancy? Say, yes, how did you know? Because when the mother heard that she was pregnant, unwillingly, she cursed dad. And that wounded the person. And that person can become a believer at age 10, 20, 30, 40. But if the grace of God hasn't gone all the way back to that moment when he or she was totally innocent in the womb of her mother, that will not set the person free. How does, second question, how does grace impact our past? And this is the great news. The grace of God is designed to forgive our sins and also to enable us to forgive the sins of those who have sinned against us, especially if they have not repented. Receive that. Receive it by faith, especially if they have not repented, because those are the hurts that are still active. So question number three, why at the moment of confession, conception instead of the moment of birth? Because the old things begin exactly at that moment. Grace is granted to the injured party so that you are not left powerless. Do you realize that the person that sinned against you, you are the only one that can forgive that person? You are no longer a victim. You are in charge. You have the power to set that person free. The devil will tell you that you are powerless. You are not. You are in power. Number four, why do we struggle with this corporate perspective? that I can forgive somebody who hasn't asked for forgiveness. And if because of this, because in the Western world, and remember, Jesus was not a Westerner. He was a Middle Easterner, okay? We have a problem with individualistic approach. And we read in the Bible, you, and our mind translate I. But I can tell you, I read my Bible in Spanish too, where you can have singular or plural, and 99% of the time you read you in the Bible doesn't mean I, it means us all. And that's very important. But because we are individualistic, he saved me. Yes, he did. But you know what? He saved everything that touched you with defilement. He saved your household. He saved other people. And we will see how that plays out. Why do we struggle? Because sin is corporate in its consequences. But if grace is the remedy for sin, it must be corporate in its benefits. 
Otherwise, grace is useless. How can it be that one sin in the garden contaminated the totality of the human race and we cannot believe that one death on the cross can take care of everything that the devil broke? Oh, let the word of God illuminate you. Begin to see grace not as an individualistic thing that is dependent on consensus by other people. No, the grace of God in you empowers you to change everything evil in your life. Therefore, now how does that work? And this is the context. Read it with me. One, two, three. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man. The word flesh here doesn't mean the sinful dimension of man. It means the natural. It says we look at what happened to us, not with the eyes of the natural, but we look at them in the spirit. And this is the key. In Christ, the offender is already forgiven. Say that. In Christ, the offender is already forgiven. Even though in the natural, he's not forgiven yet. And this is the distinction that we need. And that gives you a choice. And now you have a choice where you can look at the offender for where he is. He doesn't repent. He hates me. He never came to me. Or you can see him totally forgiven in Christ and you can act accordingly. And I use an example of a father that is driving the car on a hot summer day with the air conditioning on, the windows up, and his five-year-old daughter, and I sympathize with the story because it happened to me too. And all of a sudden, the little girl says, Daddy, Daddy, there is a bee. There is a bee. It's going to stink me. It's going to stink me. And she panics. And the father cannot pull to the side of the road. And the girl is screaming because she's scared that that bee will stink her. And then the father in a moment grabs the bee and holds it until the bee stinks him. And then he takes it by the, by the, by the top, by the wings, and shows it to the girl who panics even more. No, daddy, no, daddy. Look, it already wounded me. It cannot wound you. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. That's what Jesus did at the cross. That sin already wounded him. Oh, let the Lord open your eyes right now. Let the Lord give you a fuller understanding of grace so that you can see that what was done to you or what you did to yourself already wounded Jesus. It's a bee, but it doesn't have the sting. Christ has already taken the sting of that terrible thing done to you or done by you. How can that be? Look at the scriptures. No one repented at the cross but one thief. But everybody was sin was atoned for. That's the power of grace. That there are two dimensions, the unseen dimension, but everything is forgiven, and the visible dimension where we're still working out. 
And let me prove it to you. What was the worst sin ever committed on planet Earth? It was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he was crucified on the cross. And the cross was an emblem, a symbol of a curse. But when Jesus cried out and said, Father, forgive them. At that moment, the symbol of a curse became a symbol of forgiveness. That is the power of grace. That is the power of grace. Now you may say, but Pastor Ed, I am not Jesus Christ. I'm a human being. Well, welcome to love. But look at, uh, look at what happened with Stephen. And Stephen is being killed, stoned to death for doing no wrong. And he's being stoned and stones are cracking his ribs and punctuating his lungs and internal bleeding is happening and Steve looks up at the angry faces but he looks beyond that and he sees the father but watch out Jesus is not seated at the right hand interceding Jesus is standing up which is a moment of judgment and at that moment, Israel is on the verge of committing the unforgivable sin. And Stephen, even though he's being crushed, he said, Father, don't hold it against them. And as a result of that, Saul of Tarsus became Paul of Antioch. Today's message is tomorrow's message. Let the Lord speak to you today. There is somebody, there is a soul in your life that God wants to turn into a Paul, and you have the power because of the mystery of grace. You see, when grace, grace is applied to sin, God turns evil into good. God gives you jurisdiction over every person. Listen to this. Every person that has hurt you, for you to apply grace to their sins in order to recycle old things into new things. Exhibit C. How does that work? Because grace enters your life at the moment of conversion. That is a fact. Can I get a little bit more of feedback? I need to hear. Yeah, grace enters your life at the moment of conversion. It cannot go forward <clears throat> because there is nothing forward. It goes backward. And it touches every evil thing done to you or done by you. And he turns that into a trophy of his grace. Oh, let the grace of God touch you right now. When you came to Christ, all things were made new. All things. So in my book, Women Got Secret Weapon, I tell the story <clears throat> of something that illustrates this very eloquently. I was preaching in Canada, <clears throat> and when I came to the pulpit on the second day, there was a lady to my left, second row, petite, <clears throat> brown hair. And when I looked at her, the Holy Spirit told me, she has been the victim of incest. Her father violated her sexually since she was two years old until she turned 17. She became bipolar. She tried to kill her child and tried to kill uh, her husband. I mean, she's a believer, but she's in terrible pain. When you receive a word of knowledge like that, 
I mean, you don't announce it publicly. You say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Thank you. That's fine. So I keep, kept on praying, <clears throat> uh, preaching. As we were having lunch with the pastor, and I preach on grace, the pastor says, Brother Ed, I wonder if you could help me with a very difficult case. I said, is that the lady, petite, brown hair? Multiple personality, tried to kill two people? The pastor must drop open and said, wow, how do you know that? Who told you that? God. So he went and brought her in. And I heard and I listened to the saddest story I ever heard. This lady told me how her father has been ab abused her since age two until she was 17. How can she eventually told her mother, her mother punished her by not believing her and preventing her from visiting her grandma, that it was the only place where she felt safe. And she was so devastated that she went to the river ready to kill herself. And then for some reason she couldn't remember she didn't. Then when she went into puberty, the father really went at it with a vengeance. And one day she was ready to slice her wrist. And she couldn't remember why, but she didn't kill herself. And then later on, when he raped her one more time at 17, she sat up and swore, I wish I was a man. I wish I had a gun to blow his brains. And then she confirmed that one day she was driving the car, coming home, and the husband was on the driveway, and she felt this urge to run him over. And another day she was filleting fish, and she almost killed her baby. And then she asked this question, why did that happen to me? And I said, lady, and I say to you too, why is the devil's favorite question? No one can answer that question. Only God can answer. You will find the answer when we go there. The right question is what for? What for? Is there any value in this? And she said, what value can there be in being abused as I was? I said, ma'am, so many women are abused and hopeless as you are today. If God today can show you that there is a redemptive reason for what you went through, you will not only be changed, you will change the lives of many people all over the world. She didn't buy, but she didn't reject me. So she asked the question, where was God then when this was going on? And then I did an exercise that you do in the spirit. But I took it back one year at the time, living every circumstance until we got, you know, from the earliest memory until she gets to that moment when she is by the river ready to kill herself and she doesn't remember why not. And I said, try to remember what happened. I can't. Yes, you do. No, I can't. In the name of Jesus, do it. And you could see the shaking. I mean, there was so much anesthesia of intentional for forgetting over that. But eventually she touched it. And her expression of pain became a smile. And she said, I see it. I see it. Jesus was there. And he hugged me. And he comforted me. 
I said, okay, one for the Lord, zero for the devil. He was there. And then we kept progressing until the day that she's ready to slide her wrist in the same exercise until she can see it that an angel came and rescued her. Yes, God was there because life is not a picture. Life is a movie. I mean, we have to let it play according to the script. And then she said, what about my anger? You have no idea how much I hate him. You have no idea. And I said, ma'am, your anger is what gave you hope, a feeble hope, the wrong hope. But it gave you at least chance to fight again. But you were trying to bring down a rhino with a water gun. I want to give you a bazooka loaded for bear. You're going to blow it away, you know? She said, but what about my split personality? One day I'm one thing, the other day I'm another one. And I said, ma'am, that's what kept you alive. Because you cannot put in the same box, you know, a father who is raping you with a father that is designed to be a protector. That was some, a, a safety mechanism. But God can restore you. She said, I was told there is no cure. Well, Ruth and I have been previous to that at Moody Institute. And somebody, a student, came to me saying, Pastor, can you pray for me? Because this is my condition. And they tell me that nothing can be done. And at that moment, I received conviction from God. She will be healed and she will be healed quickly. And we pray for this other lady. And the next day, two days later, she came back and says, last night I had the most painful night. It was like if bones were being broken and reset. And this morning I'm whole. So I knew that God could heal her. And I said, God can heal you. So what is that bazooka loaded for bear? I say, it's called grace. It's the message I'm preaching here today. She said, do you mean I have to forgive? Yes. And then she began to shout, no, no, no. How can I forgive? And then I say, ma'am, with all due respect, by you refusing to forgive your father, you are acting in pride. And pride is like bad breath. Everybody notices it, but the one who has it. And what you are saying is that whatever your father did to you is worse and greater than anything and everything that you and all of us have ever committed against God. No, you can forgive. And you, can, you don't have to feel like forgiving. But you take the medicine. It's like chemotherapy. No one feels like chemotherapy. But unless you forgive, you have received the grace of God in vain. You have come to church Sunday after Sunday. You have sang. You have come to the altar. But you go back to a prison. You are like a prison and that is really. One hour a day, but 23 hours a day is in solitary confinement. And this is the good news for you today. Grace is what does it. Grace is what does it. And this new person, that day, through clenched teeth, he said, do I have to feel like it? No, but do it. And through clenched teeth, she forgave. She forgave. And then I prayed for her, turned her over to the pastor, 
and I left. Seven months later, I'm doing a transformation seminar in the stadium. I didn't follow up with her for a number of reasons. And I'm there in the green room praying, getting ready to come in, to go on. And the door opens, and this lady walks in. And I didn't recognize her, but it was her. I said, is that you, Elaine? Yes, she said. How are you doing? Very well. I'm struggling, but I'm winning. Before I was struggling and always losing. And then I said, what about that uh, multiple personality? It's gone. I'm whole. And now look for a moment now. That lady today has a powerful testimony and a ministry to victims of sexual abuse. All the devil needed to do before was to tell her incest and she will melt. Now she walks into a room full of ladies who have been abused and she tells the demons grace and the demons melt because she learned the power of grace. Receive it. Receive it. That's for you. So how do we apply this? Number one, confess with your mouth what you choose to believe in your heart. Part of the schizophrenia is that in your heart you know that you should forgive, but you, that will not happen until you declare it, until you say, Lord, I forgive. Father God, I confess that the blood of Jesus is more than sufficient to provide forgiveness for every sin and that your grace is always ready to overflow where sin abounds. First step, don't just believe. Confess it. You believe in your heart unto righteousness, but you confess with your mouth unto salvation. Until you declare it, it will not happen. Declare that the blood of Jesus, I am forgiven. And my offenders are also forgiven, even though they don't know that they are forgiven. We are all under the blood of Jesus. We get this idea that because we are better, the, there is no hope for the other. But if you miss a plane by a minute, and I miss the same plane by an hour, we both need a new plane. We both need to understand that there are no degrees of lateness when the plane is gone. Don't miss the plane today. Don't miss the plane. And then say, today I choose. Say, I choose. I choose to forgive as you have blessed me. I bless those that have hurt me. And I also forgive myself as you have forgiven me. And I sense I need to pause here because there are people in the audience. I can see it in the spirit that you're struggling with forgiving yourself. And you live in the land of if and what if. And I mean, listen. It's the same grace. Forgive yourself. God forgave you. Forgive yourself. And declare, and I agree what the, with the scriptures that say that all things will be made together to work together for good. Especially the bad things will work together in the name of Jesus. Now, you go home now and you say, I forgave, but... Will I forget? No, you won't. You won't. But there is a process. And this is how you deal. In a moment, I'm going to lead in the public confession for you to 
Declare that you forgive yourself, that you forgive others. But there are inside of all of us two circles, one called convictions and the other called emotions. Conviction is what you choose to believe. Emotions is what you feel. That was the reason for the schizophrenia. You know what you believe, but that couldn't override what you felt, your emotions. And emotions are like smoke. I mean, you cannot put them in a bag. When your fireplace begins to smoke, you just say, okay, bring it back to collect the smoke. You have to let it drift away. And so in your convictions, you choose to forgive, but you still have emotions that will come and will remind you of how bad it is and where it goes. But don't deny the anger. That anger is there like a defense mechanism. Anger is like pain in your body. When something is hurting, it's because something is wrong. But you should neutralize it by declaring again with your mouth, I am forgiven, I am forgiven. This booklet, you know, a stronghold will teach you how to do 40-day treatment until you do that. But let me illustrate this. Why is it important to shift from emotions to convictions? Imagine that you are driving on a dark night on a narrow two-lane road, and you're going uphill. And downhill, there is a bunch of young people that maybe have too many drinks, and they have rigged a number of spotlights on top of their SUV, and they are ready to have fun on you. And as you approach, they know that you are at the right place for them, the wrong place for you. They flip the switch, and they blind you. And you cannot see and the more you look into the lights, the more blind you become. What did you learn in driving school? You look away from the light. You look for a white line on the right side of the road. And you drive looking at the white line until the lights pass by. Today, you are drawing that white line. Today, you are making the decision that 11.30 a.m., you choose to forgive. The pain will come back. The accusation will come back. The, the, the emotions will come back. Don't look into them. Don't try to reason with them. Don't try to bag a smoke in the bag. I mean, just say, it is forgiven. It is forgiven. Like Lazarus, when Jesus has come forth at that moment, he came alive. But he says, unbind him and let him go. Today, when we pray the prayer, you will be set free. But now you need to exercise this every day, every day. I remember once I broke a bone in my hand. And, uh, and, I, and they put me a cast. That was before they have this flexible cast. You know, that was the... the the one that you cannot move it for 40 days. And I was counting the days when they will cut it open and I'll be able to move my hand. And the day came and they cut it open, but I couldn't move the hand. I said, what's wrong? You need therapy. You put it in hot water, exercise it. It will take another 20 days. 
but I finally got my hand back. And this is what the Lord is saying to you. This 40-day treatment that is spelled out in this booklet, as well as in that none should perish. You pick up all the Bible verses that I am quoting. And every day for 40 days, you declare, so and so is forgiven. Or I have forgiven myself. And when you do that, you are doing the therapy. Now the devil will come back and he will remind you of your past. Counterpunch by reminding him of his future. Talk to the devil about the lake of fire. Talk to the devil about Revelation 12, 11. Talk to the devil about the punishment that is coming to him. Don't just take it, take it back. In conclusion, my friends, I have felt all along that God has chosen Pastor Ken Apostle Ken and this congregation for the divine destiny. We all live in a place, whether it's here or California, of broken people, people that are hurting. But imagine for a moment now that the work of grace will be done in your life today. So extraordinary that you, like Elaine, the lady in Canada, you will be able to walk into places where sin abounds. And now with the freshness of having experienced the forgiveness of God, you can turn things around. I feel in my spirit that God will do a reconciliation between Anison and Oxford beyond anything you can imagine. I foresee in the spirit that will be evils that will be restored and some of you will be instrumental in doing that. But remember, the light that shines the farthest has to shine the brightest where we are. And Father, I take authority over all power of the evil one. I come against every word judgment, every, every ancestral curse spoken against your children. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, exercising my apostolic office, I cancel those right now in the name of Jesus. And I declare, Lord, that your people are free at this very moment. And now in the name of Jesus, I command them, come forth, come out of that cave. Come out. And if God is speaking to you, Get on your feet. Lift up your hands right now. Your right hand before God. And declare, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Say it loud. Yes, Lord. I don't know how, but I know what. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And now something extraordinary is about to happen. Remain there. Because the truth will set you free. Now, we quote that verse, the truth will set you free. You shall know the truth, and it will set you free. You know, that is not true. Jesus never said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That word then connects with the preceding verse. If you do what I tell you, then you will know the truth. And then you will be set free. To know the truth up here is meaningless. We need that truth to reach our heart so that we do what the Lord tells us. And then the truth will set you free. 
In my book, I use the example of General Wainwright remaining in the presence of the Lord, soaking his presence. This is your moment. General Wainwright was the only American general taken captive by the Japanese. Lock him up in a POW camp in Mongolia. And they protected him, but they didn't take care of him. Eventually, Japan lost the war. MacArthur, the commander, sent the airplane to see what happened because the commander-in-chief, the, the, the commandant of that camp, refused to acknowledge that Japan lost the war. And Wainwright behaved like a prisoner because he didn't know the truth. Until it, so every command he received, he obeyed because he thought, I'm a captive. Until an airplane landed by. And another general got off. And he came to the barbed wire fence. And he asked to talk to Wainwright. He said, General, Japan has surrendered. And then he knew the truth. And when he knew the truth, leaning on a cane, very feeble and weak, he walked into the commandant's office without raising the voice, but knowing the truth. He declared, my commander-in-chief has defeated your commander-in-chief. I'm taking charge here now. And this is the declaration you're going to make to those demons that have been tormenting you. They have told you you are damaged goods. You can never reach your full potential. You're going to look at them and you will tell them, my commander-in-chief has defeated your commander-in-chief. I'm in charge now. You are going to internalize this. So raise up your right hand and say after me, Father God, let it be known in heaven and on earth that here, now, today, at this very moment, I receive your word. I declare that all things, all things, good and bad, work together, together for good. And in the name of Jesus, I apply grace to my life, to the life of others, to my past, all the way to the moment of confession. I apply it and I declare I am forgiven and I forgive them. I forgive them. Say it loud. I forgive them. I forgive them. I extend grace and I say to the demons, they have tormented me. My commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross, has defeated your commander-in-chief. And in the name of Jesus, I take charge now. I am free. And I will set people free. In Jesus' name. And now give a big shout, a big shout unto the Lord. Hallelujah. When you go home today, set an altar, a place that from today on will be a memorial of what happened today at 1135. 
could be a painting, can be a drawing, can be something, but something that you see. And every time the devil puts a spotlight on you, you look for that white line and say, on this day at 11.35, I have forgiven and I am forgiven. Amen? Give a big hand to the Lord. Passover, this message is so powerful for us from Dr. Ed today as we make this transition into our inheritance and our destiny in this season. If you need communion, slip a hand. We'll get somebody there quickly to serve you. Lord, we lift up the bread today. And as Dr. Ed has so powerfully spoken to us about the work of the cross, we set our eyes today on the realization of the battle that was won through your broken body, your humiliation, your shame, your suffering, your great act of love that secured our eternal redemption. So Lord, we break this bread in representation of your body broken for us and we receive it today by faith. Receive the bread. blood that was shed we remember the 14 stages of the cross that represent the 14 generations until you were born and how you shed blood on the Via Della Rosa all the way to the cross and that each drop of blood secured our eternal salvation and redemption Lord, I thank you there is nothing that we have done nor that has been done to us that can't be forgiven by that powerful blood. And so today we realize that, we remember it, and we apply it to our lives today. Thank you for your precious blood shed for us, and we protect by faith in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, thank you for this word of grace that we've received today. Lord, I thank you that as we apply it to our lives today, that we are going to enter in through Passover this year into a whole new level of our destiny inheritance. And so, Lord, we receive it today. We thank you for sealing it with your anointing now, and we're going to walk in it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Can you let Dr. Ed Silvasso know how much you appreciate him coming to Word Alive today? This has been a presentation of Word Alive International Outreach, 122 Allendale Road, Oxford, Alabama. Reach us by phone at 256-831-5280 or at our website, wordalive.org. This has been a production of Word Alive Creative Arts.